Welcome to Packet Pushes, the data networking podcast that dares to attend IETF conferences pretty much when nobody else does. I'm surrounded by people with fashion challenge senses of dress. It's quite astonishing. My lack of ponytail with grey hair and a two cent uh, thing to tie it up so that I can look cool as like as, as if I've actually dressed up for the occasion changes the game. Now, today I want to talk to you about data center fabrics. We're going to have a bit of a roundtable discussion with people about the different possibilities about what might be the way that the data center is going to look. Let's go around the table and introduce people who are here. Jeff Tantura. And you've been on the show before, Jeff. You're great fun. Where are you working these days? Just so we can declare your allegiances. Uh, looking at ATF, I'm uh, the chair of routing working group mm-hmm. as well as a uh, member of Internet Architectural Board. Yep. Consulting to Future Way Future Networks. Perfect. And also? Russ White. And I'm admiring <laughs> the fabric. The fabric. The you fabric. Know, my beautiful data center fabric that I'm wearing today. <laughs> it's sort of the drape. The and drape it, is It comes great. in a lovely Czech fashion. Yes, yes it's lovely. And, and so here at the ITF, our job is to give you a new fabric. A new fabric. <laughs> Lighting up my life. <laughs> also with us today... I'm, I'm Tony P, the only grown-up here, right, <laughs> working for a vendor who is supposed to make all this stuff work at the end. Right? Let's try. <laughs> so thanks. So let's start off with um, defining... Tony, Tony has a funny definition of grown-up. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's comparatively speaking, I'm a grown-up here. <laughs> so let's start off by defining what is a data center fabric. So t- t- uh, Jeff, data center fabrics, what's the challenge going on here? Why? What's changing? What's the trigger for driving new protocols or cons- reconsideration of the IETF in what sounds a bit like Ethernet and IEEE work? So let's look at the evolution. Traditionally, we had layer two data centers, lags between full mesh connectivity. Didn't scale, didn't quite work. We moved to IP. Mm-hmm. IP gave us full reachability, ability to use every link through ECMP, mm-hmm. And obviously, to distribute reachability, we move to routing protocols. Yeah. So, so driven on the traffic side, the driver, I think, is actually storage disaggregation and hyperconvergence. Because, uh, you know, in the, older, in the older days, you had a converged system, and your storage was stored with your processor. The storage and the networking pieces were actually reachable over the local PCI bus. Whereas now, or whatever the bus happened to be back yeah. in those yeah. days, right? So now the storage has been disaggregated or hyperconverged in either case. So now storage is actually reachable over the network, which drives a lot of traffic between storage and memory. So, um, you know, we've talked about this before that, for instance, LinkedIn, for every gig we bring into the network, we carry 10 to 100 gig Internally. Internally across the network. So that drives a lot of what we call east-west traffic or what everybody calls no, east-west traffic. I don't traffic. think it's only storage. It's just the whole... Yeah, no, it's like microservices architecture. Yeah, yeah, it's right. Storage is one, but VMs is another. What yeah, we're actually seeing is, is uh, yeah. in the enterprise, it's vMotion. Yeah, distributed yeah. computation. Microservices. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. microservices. Yeah. Like you look, at, you look at LinkedIn app, it's a thousand applications sitting on the back end. So there's any cast and load balancing on the yep. fabric. And so you don't a single call... And you don't want to be placing apps in a rack. Right? That's right. So you don't want to say this app belongs in rack five because that's right next to where um, the other, uh, you know, the back end for that is. And so they all, have, because right. that rack can blow up. So that was originally done mm. with, this, with the sharding locality, right? And yeah. that's being removed. It has, has proven inflexible yep. enough, right, to, to not bother. Yeah, sharding was one way around it, you know, yeah. where you do that. But again, we were then starting to put workloads adjacent, like 
your database shard for F to G would be in rack four, but above that would be the web servers and the middle tier that would be yeah. associated with that workload. And then you'd lose that rack and then something would go down. Correct. What we so, learned so, is, so basically the failure domains, no yeah. one could understand what all the failure domains, how they interact, yeah. right? And it, it came down really to power supplies. And that's why, yeah. they, no, no, literally, I'm yeah, not yeah, joking, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw very elaborate architecture where people went through all these microservices and everything beautiful, and what really happened, the power supply failed, and it hit all the stuff that was very carefully placed. allocated. Yeah. Yes. To, to, Manually yes. placed well, and allocated. And I think also this drills into, um, a lot of us have built um, network architectures in the data center built around spanning tree, because it's that Ethernet end-to-end thing. And a spanning tree inherently is a north-south alignment. So you have a big monster core switch and you have a distribution layer if you're big enough and an access layer. And they are, all those trees go up to the root and you create this single point of failure in the root of the bridge. And when you start, that's the first point. The second part is when you start communicating between branches of the tree, the traffic all loops up through the core and you have this bandwidth weakness in, the, in your chassis switch. And we don't want to do that because changing the chassis switch is incredible incredibly expensive. And for some companies that I've worked with, actually impossible. You can't shut off your chassis switch without, you know, stopping the entire company sometimes. So we've got to get away from spanning tree and get to something that's more performant, right? And sometimes, you know, in a spanning tree network, you can go from access to distribution to core to distribution to, you have all these hops. And so when you start talking east-west, you get variable latency because one might go through five hops, but one might go access, access. Mm -hmm. And then, boom. Or one might go access, distribution, access, and you've got variable latency in the path. And, and in time-driven architectures, latency is a huge, huge yes. deal. I, I found storage, it yeah. depends very much on customers and what kind of applications yep. they're running. So the modern crowd goes more and more towards services stripped by messaging, yep. just stripped together. Yep. And the messaging is very often yeah, delay-sensitive. And it's not only mm. even end-to-end delay, it's also delay variations. can start Absolutely. to play havoc in terms of you know, timing. Mm. They write this software that can crash today, right? So yeah. you don't test it. <laughs> so <laughs> so the the variation variation is often considered you know. <laughs> more harmful than longer delay. Yes. So it has to be consistent across the fabric. Yeah. yeah. Meaning all and So this led us into ECMP, where leaf spine uh, or ECMP fabrics. And now we're talking uh, increasingly customers are starting to got through the first stage, you know, four, four switches in a spine and, you know, X number of switches in the leaves, usually 10 to 12. And now we're seeing companies scale out to 8, 10, 12 switches in the spine and now going to three-tier or five-stage clusters, right? Yeah, the, 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 the economics are very confusing. You know, you're limited by space. How much can you put through a switch? Power yeah. constraints, you know, the, the fan-outs. At a certain point in time, the protocols start to develop a right. lot of problems, right? But people talk about very wide fan-outs. Some people start to talk about very deep fabrics. Mm. I don't think there is a uniform picture. Everybody and their dog has a, you know, their, their yep. particular you know, trade of dogs. Yeah. The dogs, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because the dogs are maybe around 25 gig with a plan to move to fractional 40 gig or whatever. Okay. Then, yeah. <laughs> so now what we're talking about is uh, you know, typically uh, a two or a three tier cloth fabric using ECMP or leaf spine type designs but now I've got to be able to handle those paths. I've either got to do L3 or I've got to do L2 over L3. Uh, right? L2 pretty much every one away. You know, so there was the L2 in L2 and all the games. And yep. um, the table size was a problem. All the L2 on L2, the you know, yep. spanning tree was melting out. Spanning tree was melting you know. down, so we put yeah. Trill in, which we did. And Trill was fundamentally L2 over L2. We did Ethernet and Ethernet encapsulation. Yeah, and tri- Trill suffered from low adoption, which is actually not even that clear why. It just probably took way too long to it's write a perfect spec. It's very complicated spec. to operate. SPBS will. 
Yeah. Yeah. Pretty okay, good technology, well, but yeah. complicated. Well, uh, mm, as somebody from the outside, there was a few things wrong with it. First of all, um, it was uh, SBB took too long. And by the time it finally came to the market, the IEEE is just too slow with standards. And by the time it came to the market, um, the market had moved on. So speed to market is actually a thing, believe it or not. And from my point of view, the, the challenge with Trill was that the vendors, um, in, at that time, the vendor product managers wanted to license it. So they felt that Trill was was something that they could charge extra for. And not to forget there were four different versions on Trill. One yeah. on Cisco, one on Brocade. Yes. And so forth. And then Huawei's version and a few others. And But what they wanted to do was charge extra for it. They didn't feel that this was something that they should give away. They felt that they should you know, charge extensively. And of course, what actually happened was customers went, well, I'll just stick with Spanning Tree and they got nothing. So they wasted all of the spending on Trill uh, because nobody would pay for licenses. And then eventually they forked Trill into proprietary because then the Trill standard slowed down and then they didn't get the money back. And then of course they did what I call, what I now call an open stack and threw their hands in the air and went, oh, we spent all that money. Nobody wants it. Oh my God, it's awful. Mm. Right, that's the uh, open stack. I, I mean, it's operationally also very challenging. You basically have an L3 protocol sunk into L2. Yes. How the hell you manage that? Right? We shouldn't have to. The point about Trill was it was minimized and stripped down to the point where it needed no configuration. Yeah, right. Routing protocols never need configuration, no debugging. You know, I never Those heard anybody. So Brocade still uses, you know, Brocade still uses FSPS for Fiber Channel, and they use that for their VCS. Um, Fabric. They use a, a, the same routing protocol to do that. It's Trill-like in its, its intensity. There, nobody's ever complaining about that in a storage network. So I, I challenge that. Yeah. Well, as long as you strip it out of one vendor who tests the stuff for you. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. I, I think Trill died literally because vendors strangled it. They didn't. <clears throat> I think it overran its bounds as well. Yeah. It became too complex by trying to solve too many problems. Yeah. It started to become a universal hammer. Well. When you get to the point where you're trying to be able to intermix regular bridges that are spanning tree bridges with our bridges yeah. and trill bridges and figure out how to make all that signaling work and make it actually still build the trill tree, mm. even though there are random standard bridges, spanning tree bridges stuffed yeah. in between them, it, it's really a lot. You're talking about having two trill domains. Okay, and have we talked about that? There's a trash can. Let's put trill <laughs> into that. And let's talk yes. about the here and now. There should have been some design <laughs> discipline that just said yes. you have one trill spine and right. that's it. And that's you build right. around that. And I think, that the, and then I think also keep in mind too that public cloud came along and that sort of took a lot of the wind out of. 10-year strategies. Yes, and a lot of guys didn't stra- care. They just found some code and started to hack, yes. And yeah. the IP stub was the cheap stub that could do the ECMP they yep. needed and off they went. And yes. well, and the, 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 the collateral damage of that was a lot of 10-year strategies then went on hold because a lot of growth or potential outcomes then shifted to the public I remember cloud. SNA, I remember ISDN. Yes. Isn't that the way of the world? ATM. No. Oh, oh. no, nightmares. <laughs> bring Stop back that. Bring back Fiddy, I reckon. Oh, no. <laughs> you probably didn't know, but Tony wrote best PNNI implementation in the world. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. It was twice as fast as anything else. That's right. No, it didn't help me much. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help ATM much either. Well, you know, some of the best engineers were in four systems, you know. Yeah. I'm still feeding over those contacts. I, yeah, I, I, I did a 25 meg to the desktop four systems deployment. That was, um, that was so much fun that I'm now here. 
<laughs> okay, so now we're talking about even older dinosaurs now. <laughs> okay, let's unpack some more history. So where are we going then? We, why would I, if I'm now building, I've got a layer, we talked about ECMP spines. Now, how am I going to build a connectivity map? What's the protocol of the future for building ECMP networks in a data center? Um, I don't know. Like, like I, No, we talked about that stuff before. <laughs> I see two tires of customers, right? There's yep. the people where OPEX is free. Right, there's enough people always to script and provision and you know fight complexity and build proprietary things in house, and there is the runner-ups who have serious um, ambitions in terms of building themselves a public cloud, mm-hmm. or possibly they just realize that Amazon isn't particularly cheap from a certain scale and presents certain risks, so they mm-hmm. build for their own in, in-house application. Sometimes it's just, you, you can't even differentiate which one is one. Mm. And, and they simply lack the clue. And it's not even for the lack of trying or lack of money. The supply of talent is limited and time is of essence, right? They often have very, very profitable businesses where stuff just has to work, right? So they don't have time to learn networking and the newest, longest, yeah, I, you know. There's more natural things. So we see a lot of the aggregation people moving to open source. Routing yeah. stacks such as FRR, Quagga, some yeah. others. The point being, OSPF inherently doesn't scale to data center. Yeah. There are I, no open source ISS implementations that work well. So BGP... Kind of where we ended up. Yeah. So it's a realization that spanning tree isn't going to work for us in the future. It just doesn't work in terms of um, its ability to do east-west, but it also doesn't work from an operational point of view. The cost of configuring spanning tree is really high. Again, your OPEX is variable. If you have... Enormous amount of engineers who are underemployed are really smart. <laughs> Your OPEX is zero. Yeah. Right? I mean, that was one of the realizations I had very early with Google when I talk about it, their, their um, economics. I call it the Googleomics, which a lot of people confuse themselves thinking they yeah. can replicate the model. And it really hit me when they started to run massive storage. Yeah. And I went talking with them, talked to them, and I said, okay, so what kind of disks are you buying? The expensive stuff is reliable. And they said, no, we're buying the cheapest bloody shit we can find. Mm. For the simple reason that we have a guy literally on a scooter. Yeah. going up and down the racks the whole day. Yeah. And if the guy changes two disks, it costs us the same if he changes 50 disks. Actually, it's better he changes 20 disks because we get something out of the guy. Yeah. And he's on this bloody scooter and we pay him anyway. So right. the OPEX becomes basically the fixed cost you cover anyway. Whereas in the enterprise, it's a different game or Correct. a mid-tier yes. cloud provider. Correct. They want to have less headcount. But what you also want is that headcount to be doing useful work, changing disks. Correct. Where, isn't inherently valuable. Correct. For Google, it may be. For you know, a lot of other guys, isn't. And even service providers. And even mm. if you bring the money, the amount of talent is very limited and those people are being paid a ransom and in some, right? Okay. As they should. So <laughs> if I'm talking about building an ECMP spine, most people are talking about using BGP EVPN or BGP protocols no, today? BGP Unicast, not BGP VPN. BGP right. VPN is inherently service protocol. Oh, you're tw- sorry, I said EVPN, BGP EVPN, rather. BGP VPN is a b- broad term for MPLS, right? No, BGP VPN is a service protocol. You use it to build right. services. Right. What you're using to distribute reachability is BGP Unicast, right. which is AFIS AFI 1121. Okay, so the same thing that we've been using for years and years and years, but we speed up the BGP algorithm so that they converge in a reasonable time in the data center? Yeah, we did. It's yeah. definitely sub-second, and if well-designed, well-tuned, it yep. could go to 100 milliseconds. Are there alternatives to BGP in the data center? I mean, I've heard terms like open fabric and Rift. No, so people are running, some people run link state with host routes. That has been mm. done for a while. That did its own challenging, right? And then if you really, your OPEX is your concern, 
you start to look what can you know what can you do better than those things. Right? Mm. At low scale, potentially you could run any protocol. Yeah. As you go to mid to high scale, you see issues, inherent issue in protocol design. Yep. Yeah, I've got I, I um, advise a customer at the moment. They have a two two tier um, ECMP spine. They have two and a half thousand hosts, uh, and we run OSPF. Right? Work work just yeah. fine. Yeah. Work just fine, right? Basically, size, yeah. and in terms of automation, we solve the automation problem by configuring fifty VLANs per switch with fifty subnets, and just turned them all on on day one, and then yeah. walked away, right? So we pre-automated the entire network for five years. Yeah. And so every time they want a new VLAN, they just walk up, plug it in, put it in the VLAN, it comes up as, and OSPF picks As it I up. say, yeah. static rocks, routes work just fine if the only link you have is a piece of wet, wet string. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm just thinking of all the people who overcomplicate data centers. You know, why don't you just configure a whole bunch of data? You know, why are you manually configuring VLAN IDs and subnets? Sometimes you can solve your operational problems just by pre-configuring everything and then never having to... Con, you know, configure. yeah. Configuration is a different topic and yeah. could be solved differently. However, well, like, the thing is that routing protocols are configuration, right? Because what well, you're effectively saying, if I, add a route, yeah. if I add a VLAN here and that layer 3 subnet needs to be propagated, then I'm actually configuring by routing protocol. That's what it does. Classically, yes, in yeah. modern devices could be different. We can discuss later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, so that's the challenge, right? How mm. do you make this thing, you don't configure your RAM chips, right? How do you build now a data center fabric that doesn't need configuration or the absolute mm. zilch minimum right. of it, right? Yeah, right? One of the major requirements to the new protocol is going to be almost 100% self-configuration, auto-discovery, zero-touch provisioning. Okay, so, so and, I, and I'll say this too. I think that when Tony talks about two tiers of people, I actually think there are more than two tiers of requirement sets in the data center fabric space. There are lots of different requirements. And... I'm not yet convinced that one one solution or one protocol is going to be solving all of those problem sets. I'm pretty convinced that we're going to end up with three or four different solutions on the table that are used for different specific so Problems. different scales. So what might work for your employer, LinkedIn? Right. It might, you know, and of course they need well, 100,000. Yeah, so not here, just scale, but application I mildly disagree. I think there is a superset of requirements and they're very hard to meet. But yeah. if you meet them, uh, you'll get something which is so superior OPEX-wise Yes. It will become, so, you know, like so what you're saying really, a component you just buy off the shelf and you don't even know how it works internally. So Tony, you what you're saying is... Um, just because I'm a, I drive a car doesn't mean I'm a mechanic. Correct. So yes. customers should not necessarily have to have a mechanic on staff to be able to build a modest-sized data center. When you, you when you build be able to more just... and more complex system, you always end up abstract and layer. So you're talking about a physical infrastructure where you literally buy a switch, you pull it out of the box, you plug it into the fabric, it self-configures, and it knows Correct. I'm a leaf, I'm a spine. And you can't even miscable that. Because if you dump and you have people who are actually pulling you know, random cable, this thing never goes down. Right. You may lose some of the capacity, but it's like your RAM chip. If it has ECC, what the hell do you even know? How yeah. do you know? Do you know how you, the, the world leveling yeah. works on USDD? Not the solid state. I shouldn't no. need to know. And you should know. You should not no. need to have to manually Absolutely. operate wear leveling on your SSD. Correct. You just you need more storage, you buy a bigger one. Yeah. And that's about it. That's right. as much as you know about it. And this is where we need to be getting to, in your view, in Absolutely. The data center fabrics need to be this that's consumable, wh- disposable. Well, that's why it's a fabric. Yeah. Right? We are, you know, in a sense, we're not only solving a data center problem. I think we are going to the point where the chassis are for multiple reasons maxing out as a concept, right? I mean, 
I think we've hit that three or four years ago. Yes. Um, uh, in for, my well, okay. Yeah. My view of, of chassis is we hit the the maximum value because they become such a, ma- a single point of failure. Yeah, one the, of the, the considerations. The software in the chassis yes, is there's so There's only so much capacity you can put in. You need the power and so on and yeah. so on. Correct. But my problem, no, all of that's fine. I have no problems with that because most chassis are larger than most people can consume. Mm-hmm. The weakness is that chassis are so complicated that they're not reliable. Internally, the architectures are so complex. Depends whom you buy from, but you know. All, <laughs> all of them have shameless the plug. Single, single blast radius, right? Like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and agree. even and then yeah. when you build a HA pair of chassis, they become a, um, a highly available single point of failure. Yeah, but then pick your poison. <laughs> you know, people forget that managing a thousand boxes, right? Yeah is not something that is trivial either. But, but if yeah, it was automated and just, you know, you're autonomous, correct. it'd be fine. Like so we... the way I see it, the IP fabric is not only a data center problem. It is yeah. also the problem of a chassis that we basically want to explode. And yes. then guess what? You end up with the fabric again. Yeah. Today you're getting yes. fabric modules. It's the ex- moment you explode it, where's your fabric? Yeah. Externalizing the fabric. And correct. I think that's a perfectly valid way of looking at it is instead of having an internal implicit piece of complexity, yeah. when, I ex- when I externalize the fabric... And I just basically treat the one RU box as a line card. Mm. Yes. And I'm rebuilding well, the yeah. chassis. And on I mean, some of these fabric. chassis run ISIS in the backplane. Yes. To path traffic internally yes. through yes. the fabric. So, like, so it's not it's, like, yeah. you know, breaking out the chassis is actually. But now something interesting hits you. Yeah. If I give you a fabric module with yep. a reputable vendor, right? It's well tested. We understand the heat constraints, blah, blah, blah. The stuff barely ever fails. So you don't yep. need anything complex that deals with Yeah, failures. the hardware is much more reliable than it used now, to be. Now, you pile up huge amount of elements. Yep. Some of them reliable, some not, but just the sheer volume yep. brings you a you know, possibility that things will fail or people miss cable it's, or you know, a, a mouse gets into the data center. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you will be facing failures. And hence, you hire routing people again. <laughs> so what about overlays? Where does overlays live in all of this? If I've suddenly taken my physical network and I can just plug in a switch, what? I mean, before we jump away from the physical, is there, are there protocols out there to do this zero-touch provisioning without so any... Overlay is a service. Yeah. Inherently, you would deploy service after a plumbing is ready. Mm. And you would like to decouple fate of your underlay from the fate of your overlay. Absolutely, and if, yes. Overlay fails, it shouldn't really affect your basic reachability, which is an underlay. Yeah. And like I said, it does not only have technological background, it also has organizational background, right? Yeah. At a certain point in time, you don't want the overlay guys messing with your fabric and the fabric guys affecting the overlay and the storage guys coming in between and plugging something and the guy at the firewall that, you know, he updated and the whole fabric dies on you, mm. right? So I think it would be a natural separation, right? The fabric guys are the the guys who bring enough bandwidth to the table, like the guys buying this or whatever it is for you. And the overlay guys are the guys who are building up new services, bringing in money, and rely on the fact that the stuff underneath just works. Yeah. So there's also some dependency on the scale. Some people don't require multi-tenancy, and at reasonable scale, you might be just fine with single protocol. Since you are single tenant, you don't really need separation virtualization in your network, right? So it really depends on what, you, what your company is. Yeah. So you, overlays is the way of the future. Are we all agreed that overlays uh, in the data center I mean, for, I, some, I, I, for some I, set of it's problems? It's additional layer. For some no. set of solutions. Think, for think some about set of people problems. who grab, grabbed a V6 block big enough and they're a single tenant. Yeah. Why the hell should they care, right? Well, right. largely because multi-tenancy. Yes. In a right. single data yes. center, yeah, overlays but, but, give you multi-tenancy but yes. think or segmentation, this. in effect. Incorrect. Now, you could achieve segmentation right. with MPLS, but vendors want to charge you for MPLS quit. So if your overlay starts at the host layer, yeah. 
there's no overlay. In, That's in the exactly public, right. right. Yeah. So if you yep. do your segmentation at the host layer, you don't necessarily need the segmentation. You yeah. just need so something. in your OpenStack or your right. NSX, you know, you're think doing host it. or leave. You know, somewhere there. And this you know, is what the, the VMware of the is fabric. trying to do, right? Yeah, it's pure fabric. There are no overlays in the fabric. Mm. Unless you have flow tweaks onto the switch. Well, Otherwise, well, it just starts uh, there's the a big push. And it ends on the switch. So, there so, are people who sort of say that the, the problem with overlays is that there's no telemetry data because the flow, you can only see end-to-end or host-to-host. And because you can't see, it, diagnosing problems in the underlying fabric is... It depends on when. Fire, but you you know, see more and more. If you look into new chips that's so fresh, yeah. chips that announced by Broadcom, they'll give you visibility... Under, yeah, well, underlay, so we recorded a podcast well. have, here yeah. at the conference on in-band telemetry with uh, with Frank Brockners and, yeah. and Sweta and Carlos Pintaro. And so go and listen to that if you want to understand in-band telemetry data. There are solutions coming, but they're probably a few years away. But it so, doesn't have to be in-band. Here, look, no, here's it's here's my observation. To look up deep. Yeah. Yes. And so look, here, here's what's my, your, yeah. So what you are getting new chipset will give you ability to look deeper in the packet. Yeah. But new techniques such as ability to subscribe to particular events with yes. Young. Yeah. Uh, young push and uh, gRPC give ability to stream this information. That's right. So yeah. you've got pretty much everything to gather enough telemetry to do something. But, but this is candy missing the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look. Poor Jeff. You have, no, no, you have the choice of making your fabric state-free. But that means you lose the distinction of a service. Let's say you want a counter per service and you push it on your whole fabric. You have to pay for it. You have to attach this counter to something, be it a label stack or something funky. You have to pay for the state being pushed into the fabric, right? Mm. So stateless fabric will be cheap, will be very fast. But if you want to start to be very funky and at any given point in time have a probe understanding every service, you will ne- that will necessitate that you stick a lot of state in your fabric and yeah, it's going to be cheap question, mm, where no. you put your intelligence Correct. in the fabric yeah. or on the host yes yeah right and so, ultimately so, the endpoint is where complexity should be so, yes, so look that's at, how we scale the internet that's how we scale yes, the internet right, exactly. the complexity isn't in the core routers yes. so, so if you look at what LinkedIn is doing as an example putting segment routing in the fabric which allows the host to actually do the work of talking to a controller to build that segmentation that's necessary, if it's necessary, yeah. and all the traffic engineering and all that other stuff. But the fabric doesn't know anything about and that stuff. And it should stuff. not, yes. If yes, you it does, cheap... all it knows is there's, is there's just a label stack. Yeah. I'm just done. I don't so even know is, what I'm doing. Yeah, so this is the idea that you can just build a non-blocking Ethernet fabric underneath for cheap money, and you shouldn't actually have to know. So We're I've done this for a customer. We built switches. a one-to-one non-blocking fabric. But it's actually fabric. an IP, but it's actually yeah. an IP fabric. Yeah. Using IP routing yes. to actually do it instead of an Ethernet fabric. Yeah, That's a over, crucial. I mean, if I had one piece of advice for, from what I've learned, which is don't oversubscribe your fabric. Go one-to-one. And if that means you only use one quarter of the ports, <laughs> that's, that's what you do. That's right. Don't try and oversubscribe it four-to-one or you'll, you'll find um, a world of unhappiness in your work life. And it's because it's very hard to troubleshoot when you actually start seeing drops and failures because it's it's deep fan out ECMP yeah and and tracing things down and figuring out which port things are dropping Correct. on and why it, it just just oversubscribe the so, fabric so or let's, let's say undersubscribe it yeah. Yeah. yeah well you can you, let's say you can undersub- track yeah, your service through the fabric, fabric perfectly what you find is that it's going through two hundred fifty six times two hundred fifty six path here go yeah. figure right yeah yeah. yeah. So, yeah, one-to-one is the key. In, so in what are this. the protocols on the table to do this automated configuration? Are there standards in the IETF that are being worked on? 
Last year we've published a RFC that describes how to use BGP in large yep. DCs. Yep. Additional work came in as modification to ISS, thanks to ROS. Mm. Completely new protocol that has some link state as well as distant vector characteristic called Drift came from Tony. Yep. So we are looking into different angles, whether we should extend existing protocols, work on something new. Yep. We are also working on requirements in yep. working group. So stay Get tuned, we'll come up with a document I'll, that describes what's really needed. And I'll say what I said before, which is I think that there's, we don't, one thing that I think is probably true is ultimately, and I know Tony disagrees with this, so Tony can like spit into this, is that um, I don't think there's necessarily going to be one ultimate solution because I think there are so many different problem sets in data center fabrics that need to be solved. No, no look, I ultimately agree, but I'm a vendor, which means I target people who don't solve networking. They pay for networking right. to solve their problems. And hence, I have to give them something which is a very, you no. Know, difficult set of requirements to solve. But yes. it's, it may be not for everyone. If people solve networking themselves or they have other operational constraints and so on, that's not necessarily the solution, and right? This right. is where open source comes into consideration because inherently it's going to be simpler, most probably based on existing protocols because that's mm. what people know. Yeah. From capable vendors, we'll probably see more complicated solutions addressing super set of issues. And mm. this is what Tony's talking about. I mean, that does not... That, it's orthogonal because this the fabric has a very interesting uh, property. The farther down you get, the simpler the protocol has to be, yeah. right? So actually, what I'm intending, my nefarious master plan, right? The world domination, everything, because otherwise, why to get up? Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm thinking that the host, the simplified host version, will be open source. Right? Because ultimately what we really want for a fabric to work well, which we are not very good at today, is to get down to the host or to the hypervisor. Yeah. Right? Because that's where you multi-home. You want to push the VMs, the host routes, directly onto something which is the routing protocol on the host. So and it's becoming mandatory because number of endpoints is increasing. Yeah. We so today to we use MLAG from the host, right? Less and less. More uh, and more routing. Well, I think the majority of enterprises will have MLAG. How, two what's, switches. What's, what's important, yeah. we are moving to containers. Yes. Whether we like it or not. <laughs> it's slowly, Finally, yeah, slowly, Docker, but yes. Kubernetes, any container management gives you ability to go into routing mode. So every endpoint becomes so routing So what you're saying entity. is the vSwitch conceptually, not in practice, but conceptually actually becomes a router. It Absolutely. Should. Right, yes. and the container sends it down and the vSwitch has a router yep. and then it layer three load balances between Correct. two Ethernet Subnets, you know, each two two NICs in the host, each one's got a different subnet. The vSwitch layer three routes A or B instead of using MLAG or LAG, right? Yeah, so you need to advertise this route to outside world. Number of endpoints has grown exponentially. Yep. Um, the most interesting part, however, is the life cycle of a container. It could be in seconds. But your routing protocol needs to... It has to be See adaptable route, and very fast. Probably a host route as well, because a container is going to be yep. a, a slash 32. Or slash 128. Or a yes. slash 128. Yes. Um, it'll be a and slash now comes the ultimate trick. Yeah. All the protocols that you try to run today that are traditional, you shake this thing in one place, it shakes the whole fabric. And that's not what you want. No. You don't want to bring up a slash 32 and have ah, it propagate across 50. And that's what you get today if you run, for example, a flat ISIS. So if I've got a 1,000 container hosts, like the, uh, not, not containers, container host, 
If I bring up a slash 32, I've got to announce it to all thousand container hosts plus yes. the physical fabric. So you start to summarize, and the moment links fail, your summaries create black, black hole. holes, and we have all the interesting problems to solve, <laughs> unless you have all the slaves with pagers yes. and provisioning systems and so on and so on. Yeah, right? this is why I, I find the use of... There are companies out there configuring vSwitches over BGP, which is, entertains me no end. So if you start looking into current solution, if we take something like Calico, it gives you single, simple universe of IP routing, yep. providing policy by configuring policy on the device itself through, uh, through, through the policy framework. Yep. So looking at it, it looks like a VPN, right? Rather than yep. trying to yep. distribute it through one protocol and use another protocol to configure IP rules, maybe doing VPN to the host. But there's Makes another sense. subtle, now observe something other also kicks in. You host your leaves, these things you won't cheap and dump because this is ultimately you know, half of your devices. So the cost adds up. So the yeah. FIP will be limited. Now, if you start to scale the fabric and everybody holds all the endpoints, you'll be pretty soon have a FIP full of the underlay, which doesn't pay any bills. Yeah. Nowhere will the service fit in. Right? Yeah, so what you're saying is you don't want the FIB in the underlay to be full of host routes from Correct. the... Correct. Well, at least not on the leaves. There are yeah. places, you, the super spines, you have no choice. You have to, to know where to go left or right to hit the yeah. host. Yeah. But in the, in, in, in the leaf, what you want is a default route. Yeah. And this is how VPN today scales. You only need to know how to reach next hub. It's up to next hub or place where you host your route, how to distribute them. And this mm -hmm. is the way to scale. Yeah. So how is the order configuration... I want to come back to the physical stuff. How is the order configuration, you know plug and play, if you will, mm -hmm. plug and pray. Um, how is that going to work? What's that going to look like? Have we got, is there a, uh, an IETF draft that talks about what that looks like? Yeah, there's a lot of different IETF drafts addressing different pieces of it. For instance, yeah. there was an ISIS draft that talked about auto-configuring, getting, uh, getting your own OSI. So it's not necessarily in one place or in one thing at yeah. this point. It's scattered around in different pieces. So um, in... Open Fabric, it's about discovering where you are on the fabric and then asking a server what my parameter should be. Yeah, yeah the IS, so Open Fabric uses ISIS. It boots up, it creates a pseudo router ID. And it figures out where it is on the fabric and it does whatever it needs to do to form a neighbor to, relationship to a neighbor because you're using CLNS, which yeah, is right. not IP. Right. Yeah. So in Rift, Tony has to describe the Rift. Next version will have it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so okay. If you look in some incremental steps, there is a way to use LLDP and redistribute in the BGP. Right. Yes. There is a way to use BGP only, which borrows some semantics from LDP and uses local multicast to auto-discover each other. You, you, could, you could do something as simple as you simply configure in the switch that you're installing, a router you're installing, what tier it's in or where it is in the network and then let it use gRPC to reach out to a server and grab what it needs to know to run in that. So it's basically still auto-configuration. You start to configure one thing or two things in the device before you plug it in and rack it and stack it. Um, in the case of a vendor play, it might be, well, you can only use these products in the T0 in your top of racks, and you can use these in your spines and these in your super spines, so you can actually tell based on the vendor product code and stuff where it is in the network. So the complexity is in trying to do so in-band. If you look at out-of-band solutions, this is what yeah, a, a lot, lot of, of people large do people out-of-band, but that's costly, right? Yeah, yeah. That's they just costly. put new yeah, device you have into a management, management port. port. And a DHCPs and then yes, configuration. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. a fairly, but that's not really... That's not auto-configuration to my mind. That's just, you're using for fairly unsophisticated monitoring. 
And yeah, I think yeah. it works for pretty large data centers. Right. Yeah, you but just need if you to put, build your DC you put, and more reliable than your production network. Yeah, yeah, but that also assumes that you've got sufficient um, well, pre-configuration work to actually have a configuration ready to go, yes, and you validate it. And there's a whole bunch of man, you have the, the MAC address of the. Uh, that's that's where bunch. the OPEX start to show up, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but there are some large-scale operators that feel or that have a, a network design philosophy that you want one source of truth and the one source of truth should be this configuration database and they don't want the devices no. out there making stuff up and doing stuff. There are others that don't want that. I mean, yeah. that want the device to do everything it can. But I think this comes down to what you're saying, which is the multiple use cases. There's a mid-sized market where people run private data centers where we can't. we need to reduce the pointless work that we do, that is configuring spanning trees or creating VLANs. I mean, it sure is jolly good fun, or it has been for the last 20 or 30 years, but it doesn't actually add value to the CIO's bonus, right? Uh, it's more interesting and more kind of dramatic change. Traditionally, we know configuration is text file and NVRAM. Hmm. Where we are going to is completely ephemeral configuration. It switch goes down, it comes up zero, yeah. nada, nothing. Yep. So the end host can route around it. It'll have two layer three routes, and it'll all be layer three at the underlay level. There'll yes, be none of this lag exactly or M lag right. or no Ethernet bonding. But the reason you don't want Ethernet bonding, by the way, is you know talking to people is just the idea of synchronizing MAC tables between two switches. Like creating multi-channel chassis lags yeah, is very complicated. The multi-chassis lag are evil in the sense for, uh, no, for the for us great. But yeah. for the customer, yes, no interoperability, right? Yeah. L2, very intransparent and so on. But even the lag, they're struggling with lots of stuff. So IEEE is doing a lot of work. Uh, but right now, for example, you know, the timers are too long. The yeah. things take seconds to realize. But complexity and is not between host and lag. Complexity is between two. That's MC lag, but even so normal lag. You, you need know? to synchronize. You always forget a protocol that's not synchronized. Your black hole. Yes. IP locks are extremely complicated, so. It's much easier just to route past. Thanks, but yeah. no. No, I agree, yes. I, and I just wanted to flag that up because somebody who's listening might be going, I can solve all that with MLAG and that's really easy because I just do this. And the answer is, ultimately, that doesn't scale. Mm. Operationally, lags and MLAGs don't work so well in real life, as many people will know, whereas IP routing is actually can be troubleshooting. Right, right, right. So this comes down to the point of thinking about things in terms of where complexity lies. You know, you can't get rid of complexity in solving hard problems. All, if you have a hard problem to solve, it's going to be a complex solution. I'm sorry, that's the way of, the, of reality. That's just the way it is. So the only choice you really have is, the only choices you really have are how do you contain the complexity and where do you put the complexity? Into which bucket are you putting the complexity and how do you contain the complexity between buckets? And MLAG seems simple at the surface, but in reality, when you get to a certain scale, it's a very, very complex. You're throwing, trying to throw complexity at the layer two, in, in layer two to try to make my layer three simple. But in many, many cases, you're better off just to eat the complexity at layer three yeah, from that's, the start. That's, for and, example, what I ended up, you know, I, I had a couple of you know, customers working whiteboards over the MC lag and convincing me to put in the protocol, and I flatly refused. And, and the problem is very well contained in L3 if you build in a good multi-homing. Mm. And, and today's yeah. protocols are not too, you know, good at it. You know, look at BGP with AdPath and so on, and then look at ISIs. People don't do a lot of multi-homing. Mm. Whereas in data center, it would be the kind of the normal case. 
But if you build something from the bottom, it was one of the drivers. It's yes. actually not that hard, you know. Yeah. IP multi-homing yeah. is fairly clean. And and, yeah. and V6 and V6 multi-homing is coming along. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're moving yeah. into V6, the V6 multi-homing stuff mm. is working. There's a lot of source route stuff going on that's going to be very helpful in making this stuff work well, a lot better. So where, where things starts to get interesting is if you run today's protocols. I mean, there was a 10 by Curtis. You remember WECMP and so on, and in CMP, what was Curtis calling this thing? I, you don't remember. I, I don't remember. Yeah. Weighted so, ECMP? Yeah, no, 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 no. It was like the non-equal cost ECMP. He was doing this kind of stuff. We are doing mm. it today. Um, I'm not talking about weighted, where you have ECMP. Unequal path, cost. Unequal cost, yeah. All the stuff, right? So today's protocols, because they're built for the generic topology, mm. right? They try to tiptoe around the issue. So one of the reasons I, I strapped the stuff I have is that it's loop-free. So yeah. I can run your K shortest path, I can saturate your fabric through L feasible path, and so on and so on, right? Yeah. Which is what you really want. And when you have multi homing and the ECMP doesn't work, then all of a sudden you start to see that your multi homing breaks because one path gets longer, so you have to play tricks and so on with the traditional routing protocols. But if you think through the issues from the bottom up just for the data center fabrics, the multi homing works just fine. Yeah, but that requires, so from people who uh, are working in enterprise data centers today doing spanning tree and MLAG, this requires yeah, a substantial course. rethink. You're thinking about L3 well, and, to and the end Apple. host. You're talking about overlays. You're talking about and, thinking and, forward and into containers. And, yeah, get, and application developers. And yeah. I think a lot of the push is that, that, that we have an awful lot of people who are building network-based applications who don't understand how networks really work. Mm. And they are just assuming things that are pushing... And again, it's containerization of complexity. They're pushing the complexity into the network because they don't want to deal with it. Yes. And we can't we can't do that forever well, because the network Well, we've is, taken on that complexity for many years. Yes, Load balances. That's and, exactly right. You know, VLANs, we've extended VLANs, and, and but... We've reached the point, and that was fine when networks were small. Like, you know, back in 1998 when we were doing Kalpana switches and VLAN trunking seemed like magic. Uh, you yeah, know, a magic right. solution to the problem, right? Yeah. Um, but in 2017, I don't have two Kalpanas in and, my data center. I have 20, and, 10, 20, 30, 40. And do it, and and do now, it with 300,000 bare metal servers sitting on 10,000 routers yes. in a data center Yes. And and now play now play well, VLAN the, switching and even let's if see you just wind works. it back and you think about every VMware host is a is a is a network device. Yeah. Every oh. vSwitch is actually a router or a L2 switch, right? Yeah. So all yeah. of a sudden, you know, five hundred servers has become five hundred networking nodes. So your network is now beyond complexity, is changing. It's this transition of scale, which is what's driving most of the change in the network. Well, there's two things I maintain that are fundamentals. One is the arrival of smartphones. And the, the the growth of that technology, we can now take technology out of smartphones and put it into switches. Like, why do switches not have a Bluetooth interface for administration? They should, right? And it's not like it costs money. So there um, are already switches who have Wi-Fi chip, right there. Yep, yep, that's right. Coming up, yep. Yep. Or or there are out of band solutions that run three G. You know, you, you have, just put a SIM yet. straight into those. Yeah, Open Gear makes those. For yeah. example, in Cradle Point, same thing. You know, sixteen ports of serial over a three G. All you got to do is put a SIM card in and boom, you're, you've got yourself a terminal server, right? So why is it that switches, you know, why don't they have a Bluetooth interface so I can do the initial config with a smartphone standing next to it? Then when you finish, turn it off, right? Do you want to? Yeah, want because to what I would actually want to do is put a Bluetooth box at top of rack. Why not have a terminal server with eight serials, a Bluetooth, and then eight USB ports? And then when or a new why, even, why even have eight serials? Just have Bluetooth directly well, in the box? Well, eight serials for your legacy, eight yeah. USBs for your current, and Bluetooth for the next gen. Or Ethernet. 
and have some sort of, you know, relatively Ethernet good crypto. console, yeah, you something. Yeah. They should not, out-of-band networks do not need to be hardwired. But anyway, that's, I digress. Um, for the midst, you know, managing wireless spectrum gets enormously challenging, so we won't, maybe it, there's goods and bads to that. Um, but I do think that there's the transition that we have to make in the enterprise way of thinking when most people are still struggling with spanning tree, I doubt if they're looking past that. How do we reach those people to convince them what the future looks like? Make it bloody simple. Make it like a RAM chip. Make yep. it like a solid state disk. So what, is it, what would attract vendors to this idea, to this way of thinking? Uh, we have no choice. Yeah. Right? The chassis business plateaued. It has, you know, reached limit. Uh, mm. All the growth is in the data centers. You better go and pay, t- pay attention to, the, to, to mm. the problem if you want to grow. That's how I see it. It's that simple. Agree. Value is in the software. From my point of view, I worked out recently that 50% of the cost of a networking product from vendors is sales and marketing. So by the time the reseller takes a split, the vendor that the reseller gets a cost about 20% of the purchase price. The vendor's about 30% for their sales and marketing team. So I think it comes down to how do we bring the enterprise forward? How do we bring the enterprise along with this? Now, I, I, we know that the cost of goods sold is is thing. If we can simplify the configuration of these devices and make them simpler to buy, right, reduce that 50% of cost that I was talking about. Well, look how much Nike shoes cost. Wait a minute, yeah. wait a the production minute. gets, Tell you know, cheaper and cheaper. Paid. Well, no, I, I think, <laughs> look, uh, no, I, I, uh, when I did my MBA, one of the eye-opening exercises were the pricing models. Yeah. And there's something called pricing to bear. Yes, that's right. Right. But hey. I think the problem is that while the, we are pricing the goods at what the market will bear, and that's fine, but it's not like um, the, at the price that the customer pays at point of purchase, 50% of it is sales and marketing. That's not valuable to the customer. If the cost of selling, getting the product to the customer is 50%, you know, for what we're saying is out of a million dollars, a half a million dollars is for pay salespeople and middlemen. It's to convince middlemen. the customer to buy it, to spend the money. To convince the customer to buy it. Now, why do we do that? We do that because we have to educate the customer because the customer doesn't know what they're buying, in which case the product, in my mind, is so complicated or so messy or because the vendors have done such a bad job of designing the product that it's not purchasable. So if I had to buy a car that way, so if I went out and bought a car for $100,000 and I had to spend six months learning how to buy a car there would be there would be no car industry. And so there has to be, this comes back to this scaling problem. We've got more networking, more than ever before. Yes. If you want to sell more networking devices, yes. you can't go out there and artisanally hand sell every one. Yep. In the same way that we get rid of the command line interface because it doesn't scale, yep. we have to find a cheaper way to sell them. And the only way to sell them cheaper is to take out the sales and marketing cost and sell them cheaper. Yep. There has to be, the cost of sales and marketing has to reduce to 20% just like any normal business, instead of this 50% profit margin that's Tomorrow, a legacy for the Tomorrow's headline on networking news or whatever is going to be, Ethan, or Greg recommends laying off 50% of all salespeople at all vendors. <laughs> and I think that is something we no, can all get just behind. No, you just attend to the next more, more difficult problem of a higher value. Look, that's how yeah. civilization works. Yeah, no, I absolutely okay. agree. But, you know, the fact that 50%, you know, my switch that I bought, is 50% of it is literally the cost of selling it to me. That's wrong, I think, in technology. We're no longer in a technology-led business. Let's realize this. We're actually in a sales-led business, and that is the model that Cisco brought to us. It's not about the technology. It's about selling it to you. And that's why we have so many salespeople bashing on doors. We need to get rid of those people and do like Amazon and Google do and say, we're a technology-led business. They we need don't. to code. And the aggregation <laughs> plays significant role. Ability to decouple life cycle of hardware from software. Kind of goes this way. 
I don't know. Branding has a cost. Innovation has a cost. You know. Um, were we talking about DC fabrics or how to yeah, you know, sorry. scam people, well, get into, rich or die so trying? <laughs> it comes down to the it comes down to this idea of you know self configuring automated yeah. fabric um, systems in the underlay so that I can now move my value up to the actual yes. value, which is the connectivity service. I, I, so I, much, I, I see it even simpler. Yeah. Bring the opex down, more people will use it. It will get cheaper, and when, yeah. you, you know what McKinsey curve is, right? Yeah. Kick the volume curve, and you can only kick the volume cur- curve when the idiots can buy and use it. Look, look at the iPhone. Why yeah. does it have one button? Mm. There's a reason behind it, right? That's I'm, right. I know. Literally, the stuff I'm mm. building internally, I'm explaining it to people who have. Yeah. A limited capacity like product management. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm building the iPhone of these fabrics. Big shout out to all the product managers out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they love, you know, well, we, we, we happily married against each other. And the product managers, yep. yeah. No. We just got rid of no, all literally, that. I mean, they have to shape a, a brutally simple message. I mean, literally yes. four sentences, right? It has, and I think the thing is, what I'm trying to drive at is if the product was simpler and easier to yep. understand, we wouldn't need to invest in so many salespeople and pre-sales engineers to go out and educate the customer about what to buy, it would be or, or, buy my product. Or bang. rather, they will solve the next more valuable yep. problem rather than messing with that stuff. So, so, yep. so the riff thing I'm building, I'm giving my PMs one of the messages. Look, yep. this is the iPhone of DC Fabric. Why one can't button. I, why can't I buy my products from Amazon? I should be able to buy my data center um, switches from Amazon and get them next day shipped to my data you center. You can. You can buy. Juniper router on AWS. <laughs> no, I, I think for Leaf, absolutely. When yeah. the complexity is relatively low, that's why I was, I was, yeah. no, I'm driving our people to rethink in the sense for the Leaf yeah. switches, we give the stuff yeah. away for free. Okay, doesn't mean it has to be open source, but it's a different way to package the stuff so people yeah. can use it on anything they choose. When you go higher up, um, uh, look, Putting it on Amazon doesn't serve you because people, there aren't that many people buying that and these people come with questions and they need support. If they but pay that's the only premium... Because, that's only because their products are over-complexified. I, I think here, product, here I disagree. Here yeah. I disagree. I mean, I should even if it's and, one button. If, if you're on a corporation... I should not have look, to go and deal with a reseller who knows nothing, who then calls the vendor, who then fine. finds the right let, person, let, let, and then when I buy okay. the product, they ship it to the distributor, then to the wholesaler, then to the reseller, fine. and then to me. I, and every one of those people takes a cut. And sim- if there's one thing that we know... It's a broken process. No, sim- right. simple counterexample. You, you run a big fabric and you have three spines. If one of the spines goes down, you lose a third of capacity of your fabric potentially. Yep. Are you willing to pay me for 24 hours replacement yeah, guarantee? Me, that's that's yesterday, you, right? Or, if I've got a decent good. telemetry system, which no vendor has actually yet produced. And, mm-hmm. if, and if I build my fabric, instead of with three switches in the fabric, yep. I built in the spine, I build it with 100. Yep. If there was a telemetry system that monitored all of the ECMP, like the, here's the simple problem that we've got today. If you've got a, a spine and a leaf, and I've got a 12-way ECMP spine, right? If, if, if I lose one of those, how do I detect that today? The only thing I've got is SNMP if I'm polling the interface stats. GRPC and NetConf is there. No, but yeah, but we, GRPC and NetConf aren't here yet. They're here for a few, but they're not in the mainstream. They are. No, I, mean, I think all the new um, stuff, Cisco yep. shipping is there, but... I mean, we have the V-Fabric. You hook the stuff up, you see the whole bloody thing, top and bottom. Yes, but you don't want to pay the premium. So you go and buy the cheapest crap of Amazon at the lowest price. What do you expect? They will build these comfortable little tools for you? Mm -hmm. Go write some Python scripts. You have time. By the time I've I've spent six months engaging with the sales rep to buy those switches, I've got nothing, no time and no money left to go and buy the advanced tools. 
So vendors will go away and everyone on for their own. That's pretty much where it's happening. No. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the brave new world and everybody will be very that, surprised. I mean, to be honest with you, that is the way it's heading. When you talk to people, they're buying white boxes instead of vendors. And I'm still so surprised buying. that you didn't put your PC out of all these little par- parts. You, you, you bought it fries. <laughs> but you're running with the Mac. Yeah, How does bad. that compute? Um, it was really cheap, I'm sure. I, like I, way on the price to putting it the yourself point is, together. Is that for me to do that makes financial sense, right? Because and there's value in here that I can perceive. And so, it, and I didn't have to deal with a sales rep for six months to buy this. So your gripe is the premium that the vendors want for it or the channels until you get your hands on it? Both. See, I don't mind the premium if I didn't have to waste so much time to buy it. So the building up the channel is very costly. So we need a huge volume. Will we get enough volume on this kind of switchy thing? The question is, do we need the like channel? So how will you get it? Yeah, exactly. Well, just buy them from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need resellers to sell me the hardware. I should be able to buy it from Amazon and then pay resellers for advice. Okay, and that would create correct incentives. Instead of resellers incentivized to so, dropship, be, be tinged. go back to Overland or Ladies Cash? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, no, I do. I actually think it's important, right? I, this I, is to me is really I, important. I we tell. need to understand the financial incentives. It's one of the things that sometimes the IETF misses is the financial incentives behind the simplification project to me also drives a transition in vendor and customer engagement. And if we could simplify these products to the point where they were what you said to me, which is self-configuring and self-automating up to some level, then I would not need this complex sales cycle. And you know what I would do? I'd actually have more networking. I would be able to spend more time on my overlays because... Um, I was working with a CIO recently and he worked out that 45%, 40 45% of his team's time was spent working with vendors to solve problems, either buying products, um, specking out long-term strategies or working on tech cases or support cases with these vendors instead of actually doing real work. Okay. Right? So if we have to find ways to simplify these things so that it's not complicated, which is what we started off with. This is why you get your vendor's certification. So you get put to the front of the queue and the tack and with the salespeople. Oh, so, that so they don't do that anymore. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah, well, good. So that was, that was a really good idea that didn't, didn't last for long. So, <laughs> yeah. so remember mantra, self-healing networks? Yeah. 10 years ago. That was well, 10 years ago. Yeah. How do we do it? By making product even more complicated. Yes. Did it work? No. So this is where I am with yeah. DC fabrics. I, I, you know, the idea behind self-configuring, self-optimizing, automatic install, to me is about driving a step change in the underlay so I can start focusing on the overlay. And that's precisely and what I'm I doing. I should not with this need rip. to spend Look, six months negotiating I, I, with a vendor to buy a switch. I was for my, looking at the BGP stuff five years ago when it was yeah. starting. I was looking at the ISI stuff for a couple of months with Naming actually. And after having chewed through the whole thing, it was simpler to start from the first principles. Yes. You know, to drive towards this goal for which we have a market as a vendor and mm. we serve, right? right? And we we've can get, get a get premium. Away from, we've got to get away from the tin uh, I and think get you into were, services. You are very lucky. You could afford to go and reinvent protocol completely. This is one time. What's lucky right? about it? You just sit down and think through the stuff and you start to write code. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yes, I know PowerPoint doesn't compile, Word doesn't compile, RFCs don't compile. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can write Getting code. Getting away comp- from TLV-based machinery into Thrift and such is a huge thing. So, right? you just do it. The, the beauty is that, you know, why it can be done as well. Because, oh, no, you could attempt the same thing for service provider or something. That's an utter waste of effort, right? What, what, what allows this kind of innovation, I think, in the, in the data center fabric is because they are forklifting every six months. 
And I think there will be for another about 36 months, and then it will flatten out. Then the game has run. But I think for the next 24, 36 months, you can basically, you will always have people who will every six or 12 months do a major forklift. And then you can come with something radical. You, you need a phasing strategy by port or something, but from what I'm hearing as being communicated, it's utterly viable. Okay. But it's a common trend. We see people moving all over the place to Drift, to Zero MQ, mm. to Kafka streaming. It's, it's a trend and it's the right one. Yeah. It represents modern way of building. It's, software, it's very right? confusing at the moment. So as somebody who's sort of not in the ITF, but I'm not too far back from it, I'm sort of, I dip into it as, and try and track what no I can. No one's in it. Everybody's just holding on to the tail of the <laughs> dragon. <okay? laughs> it's an illusion that some people control. You know, yeah, I know. I understand. The inner circle with the secret hand. Yeah, I am, yeah, I am attempting to sort of track what's happening in the data center and in the WAN and in the campus in terms of standards to see where, you know, to see where the general directions, the general shape of where things are headed. To paraphrase Aliyah, the beauty of standards is that we have so many. (laughs) (laughs) Great thing about standards is there's so many to choose from. (laughs) Yes. Uh, um, And so it does seem to me like we're still in the exploratory phases. And so the thing is that with the ITF, we either have, sometimes we do produce a number of different standards and we wait to see if there's a, convergence around one or the other. And so maybe in the data center... So there are different schools of thought. You know, yeah. I, I'm always operating by grabbing a couple of customers, getting the POs and commitment, and yeah. off I went to the races. I yeah. know there's enough money on the table. Yeah. And then I figure out the rest. If I wait for ITF, you know... Not so They much. show up mostly after the fact and they yeah. try to, like, you know, polish this thing. Uh, it has its value <laughs> in converging the, the, you know, the mindshare, but mm. if the mindshare is all over the place... The hurting the which cats. then comes back to what Russ said earlier, no, so which is maybe we'll see... Capability, otherwise, the yeah. price goes up. You but are locked the, into see, particular that's, that's, well, that's even a question on the DC fabric. Do yeah, we really I think need What that? Russ said earlier is he said hey, there may be more than one solution for data center fabrics because there, there may be, be more than one... Set of, set of requirements. Maybe, see, you know, maybe there's one protocol for mega-scale data centers, might be one for medium-scale data centers, and there might be one for private clouds. Uh, and maybe. whether interoperability is required is well, I don't potentially think so. questionable. I don't, I don't know. I don't think interoperability is required because I think people are moving towards a core board architecture where this is my data center for 2017 and here's my data center for 2020. That's what I mean. They're right? forklift stuff, right? They're forklift, You yeah. will need on DCI, you need to interop, right? And I think that is in the interest of vendors again. So come back to this financial thing, right? If the vendors today... Um, they, to, to justify a 50% cost of sale model, you have to sell it for a very high price. But if I could get my cost of sale down to something modest, then I can start to bring the price down a little bit, maintain my margins, but custom, the, as the price comes down, customers can afford to say three to five year replacement cycle instead of 10 to 15 years that we've got today. Isn't everybody crying about lock-in? If there's no interoperability, you are locked into particular implementation. You would you would like to be able to buy it from a number of vendors. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, and my I, attitude I, is that every vendor, every once you buy anything, you're locked into some lesser or greater degree. And the only way out of lock-in today, like if you went and bought an SDN solution, Contrail, ACI, NSX, you're locked in. There is no interoperability between any of those. There are points of integration or cross-integration, mm. but once you're on ACI, you've got a hardware lock-in, you've got a software lock-in, and then even with the appliances that you bring in over the top, you actually start making services fit Cisco's model. You're locked in. Contrail, no different. NSX, pretty much the same, right? Now, you if you want to 
um, understand how to get out of that lock-in, you have to say, right, well, that's my technology stack for 2017 to 2020. And in 2021, I'm going to have a completely different stack and I'm going to migrate from one to the other. And this is where containers come in and VMs because I need to VM my containers from this pod to that pod. And that's how it you... It sounds like you gave up. I, I do did. want my solution to interoperable. I want to be able to choose the best part I of I want a everyone, disposable right? solution. Now, I don't believe that interoperability is fit for purpose while we go through a period of change. I think, I think in the data center, Interesting the, pro- the problem yeah. is in the data center particularly. Mm. Now, in the WAN, interoperability I think is still a big deal. But mm. in the data center, it may be that we're to the point where people just build a data center that's physically twice as large as they need, build the physical space they need here, and then three years from now, during that three-year period they're using, they build a new data center over here on the other side yeah, of the three more racks, buildings. five more racks. Yeah, whatever Today it is. Today it's a Nutanix hyper-converged. Yeah. And next and then, year and then, it's a... Right, and then yeah. you just simply shift the traffic over to the other one and you shut these down and have a decommissioning company come in and decommission those. And then you start, when once they're decommissioned and that space is cleaned out, you start thinking, all right, now what do I do for the next Now time? think about your funding cycle, right? What that means is you spend X number of years building the next platform and commissioning it, and then it's ready to go. You cut everything over, and then you spend X period of time decommissioning the old stuff, right, throwing it away, and then you're starting again. So you can actually have a permanent team full-time just commissioning and decommissioning, yeah. and that's separate from the lockstep of the operation. So, so, I, so I think there's a, the problem with this is, is that that forklift model is, can actually be damaging to the business architecture unless you carefully choose your APIs and you try to make it appear to be constant from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, therefore, you the business decision to me is around the API you choose. Where, where, what level, what do I want to own? What do I not want to own? What does my API into the network look like? At what layer is my API? And that makes the lock-in decision for you right there. You want to be able to say below this layer, below this API. Yeah. I'm not locked in. It's fungible. Yes. Above this API, there's no way oh, for me gosh. Now, there, not now here's to a recursive be. argument that's got no bottom. API is an abstraction. Yeah, yeah. But, but, I'm just, but, know, but in general, the, the concept of the I fear say of my API fear about abstraction is too many layers of abstraction causes. Yes. Yeah. Well, on that note, because there is no end to this discussion, we need to wrap this up. So thanks <laughs> for everybody for joining us today. Where can people find you? Thank you. I'm mostly on LinkedIn. Right. Jeff Tensura, that's T-S-A-N-T-U-R-A. Search him up on LinkedIn and tell him how awesome he is. Russ White, you can find me at rule11.tech or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you're looking for Jeff, you can look for me and you can look at my... You probably link together. Yeah. With me, the simplest is Zulu PRZ at juniper.net. Oh, well, that was not simple <laughs> at all. <laughs> Zulu at juniper.net. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. So my name is Greg Farrow. From pa- you can find more about me on packetpushers.net. As always, you can check the show notes. I've collected a few links, although this discussion has been fairly wide-ranging and wandering. <laughs> uh, and I have to, ap- have to apologize to everybody who's with us today for accidentally forgetting to press the record button at the start. That's my bad. If you've got any feedback, commentary, or criticism, please email us, packetpushers at gmail.com. And as always, remember that too much technology would never be enough. <laughs>